so grateful to open up the word with you all this morning. And as Pastor Dennis said earlier, everyone who's here today, for God's reasoning, you are here because he has something to say to you. Because at Living Hope Church, we believe that God speaks and has spoken. And every time we open up the word, the living word of God has truth for our life, has depth to understand how his universe works, how he works, who he is, how we relate to him, and how that impacts our daily lives. And so opening up the word of God is very important and near and dear to us. We study God's word so we can know him, and we want to go deeper this year. That, that seems to be pretty clear from our conversations with our core group. Where do we want to go this year? Well, one, we want to go deeper in our relationship with Jesus. We want to know and understand and grow in him. Because life is hard. It's full of hardship. It's overwhelming. Maybe, maybe it's a, a sudden overwhelming loss. It could be a bad phone call. There's anxiety we wrestle with on a daily basis. There's uncertainty with finances, with family, with friends, with where we're going to live. There's rejection, too. People that were close to us and, and used to love us and used to be friends now pushing us away. There's loneliness. Because life is hard and long and lonely, and when you walk long enough, you'll look around and you'll realize there aren't as, people, well, aren't as many people walking with me that, that used to be. So we look around us to try to find comfort. Sometimes we look to temporary things, to temporary pleasures, to fill up that happiness. And that's, that's why so many people turn to drugs and alcohol, right? Because it gives you that temporary high, that temporary satisfaction. You feel good about yourself, or you forget about your worries for a little bit. Or you might turn to the TV and numb your mind with hours of TV every night. Just you're enjoying that, that fantasy world that you're living in where everything goes according to the plot of the movie. You don't have to worry about the stress of everyday life. Whatever your escape is, nothing seems to satisfy our quest for happiness on this journey of life. There's no depth to that joy. Philippians is a portion of God's word. It's one book. That really goes in depth on the topic of joy. Now, to define joy, rather than happiness, which seems to come and go with our circumstances, joy is the continual gladness of the heart. And as we're going to learn from God's word, it's a gladness of the heart that can only come from knowing and experiencing Jesus Christ. That's the source of joy. It's a letter written from a pastor to a church that he loves dearly and he wants them to know the secret to joy, true, lasting joy. When the obstacles and the hurdles and the fears and the anxieties come, can you still have continual gladness? When the relationships end, can you still press on with a full heart of faith? I love this letter. I prayed over what would God have a study in our first book as we study in this building but what's going on in our hearts? We want to hear from God, and, and I felt that Philippians is where we need to be right now. I need to know better the true joy that Jesus brings. And if I'm guessing, maybe you do too. So the main theme of Philippians is how to run our race with joy. That's the Christian race, the, the, the Christian faith. It's important. It's not just life in general, but running our race with Jesus at the center. Now, in order to understand the book better, we need to understand the context of what it was written to. And I think as I explained, who is Philippi? Where were they? What kind of church were they? 
I think you guys are going to really appreciate and identify with more of these people that Paul wrote to about 2,000 years ago. So I don't know if you you had a, a, a handout in the back, the weekly updates. It, you, you're welcome to grab one if you didn't get one yet, but you'll see the first point is the context of Philippi. Let's learn the context together. Philippi was a major urban center in Europe, so in Greece, and Paul passed through there preaching the gospel on one of his missionary journeys. It's actually a second missionary journey around the Mediterranean. Now, Philippi wasn't really a well-known city until just a few decades before Jesus was born, and that's where the battle between Mark Antony and Octavian and the Republican forces of Brutus and Cassius clashed. That's, that's, what, that's what put Philippi on the map. A big battle where the fate of Rome was decided. And it was victory for uh, Mark Antony and Octavian. And so in that capital there, uh, or not, not the capital, in that uh, urban center, they then placed a whole bunch of retired veteran soldiers who were very patriotic for Rome. And they settled there, and that's what helped boost the economy and turn it into a place of status. In fact, it was such a big battle and such a place of prominence in the Roman Empire that they said, anyone who lives in Philippi and is born there, you now are a citizen of the Roman Empire. That's a huge deal. Most people in the Roman Empire, they, both, they had to be in it by force, but they didn't have any privileges or benefits like you and I. We're born in America, and we have all these rights and privileges. We claim our First Amendment rights. We are very blessed to live in this country. Don't you think? I think we are. Back then, you were not guaranteed any of those rights. So for Philippi to be gifted, hey, because you're the sign of this important battle, we're going to gift you the rights of a Roman citizen. This was a huge source of pride to them. This, this made life so much better, and people wanted to move there to be a part of that. So you'll see as we go through Philippians, Paul talks about citizenship here and there. Because just like we're proud of our country, they were proud to be Romans. But Paul says our first citizenship, our first country is not the one on earth. It's the one in heaven. So keep that in mind. Keep that in mind. The context is we weave through it. Uh, Philippi was also a very pagan area. So everyone kind of believed whatever they want. Whatever gods you want to worship, whatever shrine you had set up in your house... Yes, the Roman cult was, was very well established, so they would, they would worship the emperor and kind of the Roman gods for myth and even the Greek gods. Basically, whatever you wanted to believe didn't matter. Just, you know, just don't say that your beliefs are the exclusive beliefs. Okay? You can believe whatever you want. Just don't say you found the right way. They were very syncretistic. They, they just woke, uh, you know, oh, you got a god? You bring a god? Yeah, we'll all worship all these gods together, and, and you know, hopefully we'll get a good harvest this year. That's kind of what they wanted to get out of their relationship to their gods. So into this context, God says, you people need me. You need to hear from me. So he calls Paul and Silas and Timothy and apparently Luke as well. These four evangelists, he calls them to cross over from Asia, where Turkey is, over to Europe. This is new frontier for the gospel. You're coming here to this place, there's not a religious presence. There's not a synagogue where even the Jews had some kind of, you know, teaching on the law and there was a moral background. No, none of that. This was the complete opposite of people growing up in a Christian background. No, they had no idea about Jesus or about the truth of God's word. 
Because normally, when Paul comes into town with Timothy, they would go to the synagogue. They'd find people who are seeking after God and say, okay, let me clarify the word of God for you that you've been studying already. They couldn't do that here in Philippi. Kind of reminds me of North Sarasota. People don't move to Sarasota to find God. They move to Sarasota to find the good life. Am I right? The beach is here. The fun is here. I mean, there's signs everywhere for that, that dog track that you can bet on. It's closed. I don't know why we don't take those, those signs down, but hey, any little piece of the good life you can find here, people do not come to Sarasota to find God. God says, that's okay. I'll find you. Okay? So I'm sending missionaries to preach the gospel to you. So, so Paul's a man on a mission. He's following the calling of the Lord. God actually called him in a dream, told him, come over to Macedonia, come over to Greece. So, okay, so here we are, God. What, what do you want from us? Why are we here? So turn with me to the book of Acts. If you have a Bible, or if you have your phone, you can just type in Acts chapter 16. This is the story of how the church of Philippi got started. Just ordinary people, like you and I. But God did an extraordinary work in their lives, and he brought about a church. So in Acts 16, verse 13, we find this. On the Sabbath day, that's yeah, typically where the Jews would go to synagogue. On the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down, and we spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. Okay, so here's a lady who's seeking after God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized, and her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. So she now opens up her, her hospitality room, so they have a place to stay. And she prevailed upon us. So look at this. They show up at the riverside, not even sure if they're going to meet people there or not who are worshiping God. They kind of heard, maybe, we suppose, there might be something going on here. But it wasn't like there was a website and they could see, hey, meet at Canaan Elementary School at 10, 15 a.m. So you guys would know if I show at 10, 15 a.m., there is going to be a worship service happening here. They didn't know that. <laughs> Talk about walking by faith. Just go for a walk by the river and let's trust that the Lord will connect us with some people that need to hear the truth. And sure enough, God connects them. There's one lady, maybe a couple others, says there's some women praying together, but for sure Lydia heard the good news of Jesus. So what, what does that tell us about our culture today? If people don't move to Sarasota looking to find God, then what is God calling us to do? We can go and find them. We need to be missionaries, just like the Apostle Paul. He has entrusted us with the Word of God. People need to hear from God, whether they admit it or not. They are looking for joy. They are looking to find their purpose in life. And they're trying this, and they're trying that, and they're trying the beach. But even the beach gets old after a while. Let's just be real. You're not going to go there every single day. But the Word of God is living and active. God is speaking today. He has truth today. Jesus is the risen Savior today who offers forgiveness for all of our sins and a new life. Most people don't even know that they're looking for him. In fact, I had a conversation with a, a young lady at a coffee shop on Monday. I won't tell you her name, but, but she works there. I, I interact with her regularly, ordering my coffee, and we have our men's group meeting there. And, and I had lunch in a different spot with Mark. 
And I, I came over to the coffee shop after lunch just to check in on those workers and try to build a relationship with them to, to introduce them to Jesus and talk to them about Jesus. And this this girl, I mean, all of her coworkers are like, "Yeah, she's having a rough time. You need to go. You need to go talk to her." Like they know what I'm about. They know about my faith. And I said, "She needs help. Whatever." And so you know, okay, you know, I'm not gonna be pushy, but if even your coworkers know you need some encouragement, I'm here. What? You know, how, how can I help? And so she just starts talking about looking for purpose in life, and she's struggling. She's got some things going on, and she hardly knows me from Adam, so she's not sharing everything that's going on, and, and that's okay. She doesn't need to. But she was open to the conversation, and so then she, she knows I'm, I'm a man of faith, so she says, do you have something to say to me? Oh, it's really tempting to just jump in here and tell her everything about the Christian faith and be like, yeah, there you go. You know, here you go. You, you, you want to know? I'm going to tell you. I'm going to dump it on you. But I felt the Lord working in my heart. Josh, you hardly know this girl. You don't know what she's gone through. Yes, I have the answers. But he led me to ask a question. So I said, you know, I, I have some things to say, but I want to know what are you looking for? And God said, what am I looking for? She said, maybe that's part of the problem. I haven't really been looking. Thank you for your honesty. If we're honest, most people are not looking after God. And then I got to weave in some of the truth we learned last week in church from Isaiah 55. God says, come, come while I'm here. Come hear me. I'm inviting you in. And I got to share truth with her now that I knew better what her situation is. Someone who knows she needs something, but she hasn't even been looking. And God invites her in. So I invited her to come on a Sunday morning or to connect with Lacey over coffee. And so I'm, we're praying for her, praying that she will come. But every day, every day that's a heartbeat. There is a sea full of lost people here. Are we casting our nets? Are we, are we reaching out with our fishing pole to show them the grace of our God? That's the context of Philippi. Brand new start of something that has never been here before. People who are spiritually hungry, don't know Jesus. And Paul says, hey, I'm just going to share some good news with you. I'm just going to look down by the river and see what we find. So number two here, now that we know the context, we can start to appreciate a church as it comes together. Because we're in that journey right now. We see a church coming together. Sickness or no, we are seeing God grow our church. We are three times the size of where we were a year ago. Because it was just our family and my mom and my dad. And by God's grace... He has grown us now to multiple families and, and children and singles and seniors and people from all stages of life. But I want to know, when we say the church of Philippi, who's this church? Who are these people? Okay, so we see some women, women praying. We see Lydia is the first convert in Europe. How would you like to have that on your resume? I was, I was the first person that, that put my faith in Jesus on this whole continent. Okay, that's pretty special. That's a new special work. But Lydia was an Asian woman. She was from the city of Thyatira. She was not born in Philippi. She was a transplant to follow the commerce. She sold purple goods. That means she was pretty wealthy. So think about our context. Wealthy transplants moving to the area for business or maybe to retire. Okay, I kind of I identify with, with people in our church with that kind of background. Then you keep going. If you look at verses 16 to 18, there was a demon-possessed girl. She was a slave girl, and her owners used her as like a fortune teller, as a medium to make money. So instead of helping this poor girl, 
who's, who's entrapped by a demon spirit. Instead, they're profiteering off of her. So she's a victim of human trafficking. Good night. Human trafficking and spiritual captivity, held captive by this demon. No one has compassion on her. I mean, think of all the customers that are paying money to try to hear their fortune from her. They know something's off. They don't care. They're taking advantage of her. God, have mercy on this girl. He does. So she follows Paul and Silas in the marketplace. The demon actually speaks through her. It says, watch out for these guys. Watch out for these guys. They serve the living God. And Paul turns around and says, get out of her. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, he casts the demon out and heals her. She's a victim no more. She's been set free by the grace and the mercy of our God. He's a powerful God. So she comes to faith in Jesus. She no longer is possessed. So we've got a wealthy businesswoman, and we have a former trafficking victim who now is no longer uh, enslaved by a demon. That's an interesting start to the church. I'm not going to lie. It gets even better. I'm going to read for you about a jailer, a Roman guard, who actually imprisoned Paul and Silas. Listen to this. In verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Because after they were put in prison, they're in the prison, in chains, singing. I would not be singing if I were in prison. I think if you're honest, you probably wouldn't either. The prisoners were listening to them, though. And suddenly, there was a great earthquake. So that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately, all the doors were opened. And everyone's bonds were unfastened. A miraculous earthquake. I wonder where that came from. And when the jailer woke and he saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and he was about to kill himself, supposing the prisoners had fled. Because that's what happened in the Roman Empire. If you're a guard and you lose your prisoners, you lose your life. So he was just going to get ahead of the curve and take his own life. Because surely Paul and Silas had already fled. But they did not. Paul cried out with a loud voice. Don't harm yourself. Don't hurt yourself. We're still here. We haven't left. And the jailer called for lights. And he rushed in. And trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. They've saved his life. And he brought them out of their cell. And he said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Please tell me. There's something so different about your faith and the joy that you have in prison. I want that for myself. And here's what they say. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. That offers good for your whole house. That offers good for everyone. Believe in the Lord Jesus you will be saved. And when they spoke the word of the Lord, him and all who were in his house believed. And he took them the same hour of the night and he washed their wounds. So the jailer, who was responsible for those wounds, now is the one who's cleansing them. Because of the work that God's done in his heart. Then he decides to get baptized. I, I want to be obedient. I want to get baptized in the water to show my heart has changed. Then he brought them up to his house. He set food before them, and he was rejoicing. So Paul and Silas' joy was contagious. Can you imagine getting thrown in prison for preaching the gospel? In America, surely that, that wouldn't happen. It happens every single day around the world. Every single day. People have to decide, do we really believe this is God's word? And are we willing to be beaten and imprisoned so that I can pass on this message to save someone's life? 
in America, I, I just kind of worry if they're going to make fun of me. And and I chicken out. And I think maybe you do too sometimes. Oh, I, don't, you know, I don't want to talk religion. It's going to make things awkward. They were in prison. They were beaten. Their feet were in stocks. They couldn't even walk up to relieve themselves. And they're singing praise to God. Jesus, you're so good. My circumstances are nothing compared to the joy that you've given me in my heart. They believe. They believe. You see the difference that Jesus makes in your life. This is the gospel. This is the center of who we are, what we do, what we're all about. This is the center of Philippians. It's about Jesus. It's about the good news that he offers. And not just offers as in, you know, you know, like, like you get a rebate coupon in your mailbox. You know, 10% off your oil change if you come in. Oh, like kind of one of those offers. No. It is a full-on invitation to know God, to be forgiven all of your sin and shame, to be given a new identity and brought into his family, and given a forever eternal home with them, no matter where you come from, no matter what your background and you see, as God puts together the church, he's saving people from all different backgrounds, which shows you, no matter where you're coming from, you have a place at the table, too. The offer is good for you to come and to know Jesus for yourself. A Roman guard who imprisoned God's messengers? A demonically saved trafficking victim? A wealthy businesswoman with tons of money? God loves us all. And the good news is for all. But you see how small this church is at first? We started with, let's see, so Michael wasn't born yet, so there's five of us, and then Pastor Dennis and Chris, so seven. So who did they start with? Lydia, this girl, a jailer, and then add a few family members. Maybe they have ten. It's a church plant. God's starting something through the gospel. He's bringing life where before there was none. It's amazing. That's miraculous. And every time the local church gathers here at Canaan, or other churches gathering around us that are preaching the gospel and living it out, every time we gather, we are showing people the gospel. We're showing people how good our God is. I could be at the beach right now. I could be at the park. I could be sleeping in. I could be catching up on some tasks and working around the house. But I'm here because of what God's done in my life. I have to sing his goodness. I have to proclaim him. I mean, we aren't even under threat of imprisonment. It's not that hard to get up on a Sunday morning and praise God, especially if he's done amazing work in your life. It's easy. And once you know it, if you turn to Philippians, which is about halfway through the New Testament, for me, I'm in page, uh, let's see, 980. Your page numbers are probably a little bit different. But uh, uh, if you look up the beginning of your Bible, there's a table of contents that will help you find it. Or you can look it up in your phone. That works too. When you get to Philippians, would you like to know where Paul is writing this letter from? It's not from a comfy retirement home. He's in prison, again, for preaching the gospel. Except this is an even more serious place to be. It says he's in Caesar's household. The Praetorian Guard. The close unit of soldiers that guarded the emperor of the Roman Empire. So he's about to see the emperor under accusations that he's stirring up 
treasonous plots in the kingdom because he's preaching about this King Jesus, he could lose his life. It's a big deal. Yet when you read this letter, you would hardly ever know that this man is in chains. The joy just comes out. What's his secret? How does he have so much joy and hope in Jesus? Here's a point number three, and most important. Now we're getting into the word. The Christ of Philippi. Here is his hope. Here is his reason for joy. So look at the first two verses of Philippians with me. Paul and Timothy. So if you're opening up a letter, who's it from? Here's who it's from. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. And here's who it's to. To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and the deacons. Or overseers can be translated pastors. Pastors and deacons. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. How many times does the, the, does the title Christ appear in just the first two verses? Three. Right out the gate. Christ, Christ, Christ. Oh, and God the Father. Don't forget, God is three in one. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So he's weaving into here the grace of God, the character of God. He is the source of joy. He's the source of Paul's joy. Is he the source of yours? Because at the end of the day, life is really all about him. It's not about Philippi. It's not about Sarasota. It's not about you or me. Life is about Christ. If you were to go through the book of Philippians and count up how many times Paul references Christ, 37 times in such a short book, it's about 100 verses. And over and over, he tells us the good news of Jesus. In fact, he even ranges the whole book around chapter 2, verse 6 through 11, which is a hymn about Jesus. He's literally overflowing with praise to Jesus in the middle of a letter. He breaks out into a song that most likely the church at Philippi knew as well. Singing praise to Jesus. I want, you to, I want to encourage you to read that hymn later today. Philippians 2, verses 6 through 11. He even arranges his whole letter around the person of Christ. His joy comes from him. So it's not about where you are this morning and what circumstances you're going through. Do you have a relationship personally with Jesus Christ? Do you know God who became man, who stooped down to be a servant, to live a perfect life where you and I do not because we are sinners and we fall short of God's glory, and then he offered up his life on the cross to bring us back to God. And then when he rose from the dead, he shows he really is Lord. Paul says the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no mistake. This is who he is. He even has power over death. So what can we go through that God's power is not able to sustain us? He controls even death. Could death separate us from the love of God or his power? No. What about hardship? No. What about bankruptcy? No. What about a friend that turns their back on you? No, Jesus is still there. He's still Lord. He is still with you because he is Lord over all. And I love how Paul identifies himself not as some big wig. Hey, I mean, you remember me? I'm the guy that started this whole thing. I'm the church planner. You're here because of me. Or I'm the apostle, you know, capital A apostle, and you better remember it. And he says, we're just servants of Jesus Christ. 
That's his title. A servant. And if you were in the church of Philippi listening to this rather be rather? No. Letter being read, you would hear slave. Slaves of Jesus Christ. I don't know what's so joyful about that unless he's just saying, where Jesus goes, I go. That's how it's always going to be. And it's such a joy for me because he's such a good and gracious master. He's in control of everything. I love being a servant in his kingdom. Do we identify as servants of Jesus Christ? Or do we try to be the masters, the captain of our own fate? So servants of Christ Jesus. That's how Paul gets it rolling here. And then he addresses all of you saints in Christ Jesus, along with the pastors and the deacons. So it's for all of y'all, as we would say up in the, up in the Bible Belt, North Carolina. Okay, All y'all, this letter's for you. So why am I preaching Philippians? It's because I really believe this letter is for all of us. It's God's grace to you. God's speaking to you. Do you have ears to hear from him? And a saint means a holy one. That means God has done a work in your life, saved you, forgiven your sins, and set you apart into his kingdom to do his work for his pleasure and for your good. So it's not because I'm holier than thou. It's not because I'm, I'm a more religious or righteous person. Oh, I'm a pastor, so I'm a really holy person. No, every single one of us. If we are in Christ, we are set apart. We're called to live a life apart for Jesus Christ. Your commission to share the good news. You can have the fullness of joy in Christ Jesus. Not in Josh Comas. Okay, sounds kind of, kind of similar. Josh Comas? No. Jesus Christ. In him. If your faith is in him, if your identity is in him, then you can do what Paul says in Philippians 4.13. I can do all things. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Whether you're a saint at Philippi, a saint at Living Hope Church in North Sarasota, I love hearing our people pray. When we gather in our home, we're gathering Thursday night for that prayer meeting. I invite you to come be a part of that and praise the Lord with us and pray. And when I hear our people pray and I hear them pray for one another in this church, and that does my heart so good. Because we realize us. It's not just for me. This is good news for all of us. This love is too good to be kept to ourselves. We spread it to others. We're in this together. It's to all the saints. The next week, after Sunday morning, come on over to our house. We're going to have Living Hope 101. Get to the details for what does it look like to form officially a church partnership between members and pastors. We'll talk about expectations. We'll talk about the vision of the church. We're going to talk about our beliefs. What do we believe to make sure we understand? When we say we believe in Jesus, what, what does that mean? Do we understand what that means? Because when Paul writes to the church at Philippi, who, who would have known he was talking to them? Some people committed to gather together as a church at Philippi. And if they hadn't, Paul would have written them a letter. They would have heard it. And if he hadn't written them a letter, you and I would not have it today. I love how God works through human relationships to bring people together around the gospel. And I'd love to share with you how you can be a gospel partner with us at Living Hope. Again, he refers to the elders and deacons. So church leaders, are you living out the values of the gospel in your church? Make sure that what this letter says is actually what's happening here. Then I'm kind of looking at these guys, the deacons. 
Deacons are servant leaders. They have similar character qualifications to a pastor. They're caring for the flock. They're making sure that we stay on mission together. We're living out the word. But they're not domineering. They're not authority figureheads. They're not executives in, in business boardroom meetings. You know what a deacon is? Somebody who notices something that needs to be done, and they do it. Servants. And I pray that God will give us a church full of servants. And I want to commend you all, because all of you here have served in one way or another in the life of our church up to this point. And I want to encourage you, look for opportunities around you to serve. It could be serving one another, helping each other. Encouraging someone in the church, praying for someone in the church, and inviting them over to your home, or, or helping them with a project around the house, or, or just calling them and checking in on them. Or it might be helping with setup and teardown for the church. If we all serve together, that takes the burden off the shoulders of the few. To be a servant leader is to see a need and to step up and meet it. It's not like the world that says, take the bull by the horns. No, Jesus' servant leaders take the towel and clean up the mess when nobody's looking because our king sees it and we want to please him. Here's the last thing I want to focus on. Look at the grace and peace that comes from God. Paul says, grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything comes from God. Joy comes from God. Faith comes from God. Our citizenship in heaven comes from God. But it's all a gift. You have not earned one ounce of God's favor and love. He just gives it. He loves you unconditionally, which also means you and I can't lose his love either. And that's what encourages me at night. That's why I'm able to sleep at night. Because <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a failure and a screw-up. I, I sinned against God so many times, and, and I've been so discouraged throughout my life until I remember, God sent his son to die for me before I even knew him. That's how much love he has for me. What a gift. What a grace. The most powerful moment in your life is when you realize that God's grace is free and available to you and you receive it. That's that aha moment we talk about. Oh, it's free? It's a gift? I just believe in Jesus and he saves me? Yes. Yes, Lord. And this is the moment that our journey begins, the race of life as we pursue what God's plan is for us together. And as we go and as we run, the peace comes. He doesn't just give us grace to get on the racetrack. He gives us the peace to endure the race of life, to press on, to go through the obstacles. This kind of peace that Paul talks about in chapter 4, verse 7, it's the peace of God that surpasses all of our understanding. Like it's mind-blowing. That's what Paul's saying here. It's mind-blowing. And it guards us. It guards my heart when I'm discouraged or, or heart sick. It guards my mind when I'm stressed out and I can hardly think. The peace of God does not let go of me. Are you aware of that this morning? Are you embracing that? Because disruption is the pattern of life. We hate it. We don't want it. We plan for things to go smoothly. But guess what? Life is one big disruption. One after the other, after the other, after the other. So what is your enduring peace when things don't go your way? And this is where our personalities tend to come out. I was talking to one of you beforehand about someone's personality and being manipulative and, and you know, trying to divide people. Why do people do that? 
Because they are trying to control their life. They are trying to control who they interact with, what they get, what they want. And they, they think the way to do that is to control and manipulate people and divide people and, and talk bad about people behind their back. It's sin, but, but why do we do it? Because we're trying to find that peace. Someone who has a relationship with Jesus says, Jesus is with me no matter what. I don't need to take this out on people. I need to take this to my prayer closet. I need to talk to God about this. I need to be reminded of the peace of Christ that is within me through the Holy Spirit. I can take a deep breath. I can go for a walk. I can lift up somebody who's hurting. Not because I have it all together, but because my Jesus is holding me together. And I have to say, in my faith journey, there's personal testimony, because sometimes that's the best illustration, right? It's close to home. In my personal faith journey, in, my, in our church planning journey, I've met a lot of Christians who understand the grace of God. But it's harder and harder to find Christians that understand the peace of God in the day-to-day -day life. It's a lot easier to start a journey in Jesus. It's a lot harder to press through it, right? Think maybe you know a little bit of what I speak, that ongoing peace. And it's easy to get excited about things and, oh, let's start this and let's try this. And, yeah, I'm going to tell my neighbors for Jesus. How many times have we walked out of a Sunday morning worship service like, yeah, okay, I can do this. And, let, and then, you know, it's like Muhammad Ali says, you get punched in the mouth Monday morning. Like, okay, I don't, I don't feel like doing any of this now. Peace continues with us through the week through our Jesus Christ. Is the Christian walk like a silver bullet or a sprint? No, it's a marathon. It's a marathon that weaves around. So I want to encourage you all, do you realize what Jesus has offered you in his peace? Are we walking by faith when life gets busy? When your marriage relationship is having some cracks and some strains, or your family relationship, when the finances aren't right, do we still trust God and look for his peace, even over our own circumstances? And I hope you keep coming back with us to go through Philippians, and I hope you invite a neighbor and a friend to come. How are these seats going to fill up? We're going to do what Paul and Timothy did, and we're going to go find people. Share the good news of Jesus with them. Because they're not looking for it. Look around you. They're not looking for Jesus, but he's looking for them. Are we willing to be his mouthpiece? Are we willing to share his love with others? But that's never going to happen if I'm not at peace with God. I will bow our heads and close our eyes this morning. I'll just ask some concluding thoughts and, and pray for us. Because I realize there's a lot packed in here. Some history information. Truth from God's word, all of it is relevant to us, especially the word. But as we conclude this morning, just a joy test here. Let me ask you a question. You don't have to raise a hand and nod or anything. Do you currently have that continual abiding joy from knowing Jesus? Are you following Paul's example of running the race of life with joy and with peace? And aren't you sharing that peace with others? Who is your Lydia? Who's your Timothy? Who's on your heart that you can love and reach and encourage with the good news of Jesus Christ? And if you don't know someone, I'm going to pray right now that God will show that person to us. Lay them on our hearts. We won't be able to even sleep 
Maybe we'll sleep a little bit, but there'll be a burden on our heart, someone we love so much, we want to share the good news with them. And God can use you to change a life.